You're listening to Supervision with a Vision, where we discuss all things supervision. I'm your host, Sarah, professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, play therapist, eating disorder specialist, and cookie lover, with my co-host, Heather, marriage and family therapist, certified together in Texas counselor, a Texas transplant from California, and outdoor adventurer. Hi, welcome to Supervision with a Vision. Today, Heather and I are talking about gaslighting. We're talking about self-gaslighting to be specific. This week we read, What is Self-Gaslighting? Published in Psychology Today, 2021. Heather, if gaslighting leads to self-gaslighting, how do you think that happens for counselors and supervisors? I think that actually, to, as of today, it was the first time I heard the term self-gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Could it turn differently? But I think how it happens is that something goes astray in your own thought process, right? You're, so you start doubting. So you start thinking like, is that the truth? Is that real? Was I on the right yeah. spot? So, so something leaves just enough room for self-doubt. Right. Just a tiny little, I mean, we're talking just a one little hairline of a mm-hmm. story a client tells you. Maybe as a supervisee, it's like not, you're, you're guessing or you're not sure if you're making progress with a client. Mm-hmm. And you're bringing that to supervision. And I think even as like supervisors, we can sometimes doubt our own, like, did we take that right intervention? Did we do the right thing? Mm -hmm. I think for me, it happens in supervision. If I've asked somebody to do something, asked them to reflect on something, and then it feels like they didn't follow through. Oh, yeah. That's a So then I start doubting, what if they never follow through on any of the things I'm asking them to do? Right. Then where am I really going with it? Yeah. What am I really doing? I'm thinking it's been a while now. I asked, talking through a situation, my supervisee and I decided they needed to make an abuse call. Okay. And we talked about how, and we talked about what to do and how to document it. And the next week I said, okay, how did that go? I know you're worried about it. Mm-mm. A lot of hemming and hawing. They didn't do it. Oy. And I think I responded first to that it still needed to be done. Right. But later I start I really started thinking and it definitely impacted our relationship. What if they're never doing the things I'm asking them to do? Right. Or what if they're not doing it the way that I would expect them to do it? Right. And so that line of thinking that's a great example because then that leads to kind of some self-sabotage that we do to ourselves by not like we just start doubting that what if she never does this? And what if I didn't say the right thing? What if mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we didn't do this approach the right way? Right. What if I wasn't clear enough? Right. What if I wasn't specific enough? Mm-hmm. I also thought of another example a couple of years ago, teaching a practicum internship section. I had a student that had a client, the her full experience in school, so okay. about almost full two years. And just right before she was about to graduate, she was working with this same person. And the person came to her seeking counseling for having just been diagnosed with cancer and wanting to work on some relationship issues as a result of the new diagnosis. Right. And so they'd done great work. She was really proud of it. It felt like a lot of progress was made. And she said about two weeks before she wrapped up, they'd started talking about ending. Mm -hmm. And the client said, I have to tell you something. I don't have cancer. And she got so excited. Right. I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. So when did you go to the doctor? And the client said, no, no, I never had cancer. Mm -hmm. 
and it just shook her. It just right. rocked everything she thought she right. knew. And it did turn into she doubted everything he had ever said, but then she started doubting herself and all of the things that she'd done in sessions. Of course. And then she started reexamining all of her other clients and wondering, did I mess up there? What if I, or mm -hmm. maybe they're lying to me also. Right. I, there are just big ramifications of just one little small thing in a session with the mm -hmm. client. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we process that a lot, but it really did affect how she saw that relationship, but how she saw herself. Right. It, when we take a relationship that we develop in counseling, whether it is with a client or with a supervisee, we trust that those things are truth mm -hmm. because it wouldn't benefit our client or our supervisee to not be truthful. Yeah. That doesn't benefit it. You know, I don't think I, I think about it that way. Do you, always, do you I don't always think that, but I think it's a generalization of like, oh. for the most part, people are coming and telling you a story about something that has happened in their world mm -hmm. from their perspective. I think that's how I look at it, from their perspective. Right. I think... They're coming to me with their version of the truth. Correct. Or at <laughs> as much of the truth as they can handle. Right. Or their perspective. And so I think even though maybe that's a small difference, but it makes mm -hmm. me think it's their perspective. So if I talk to somebody else in their home, I'd probably get a different perspective. Right. And it doesn't mean one's wrong, wrong or right, but different. Mm -hmm. I think that that's my loophole that I can I like okay. make myself feel too. better right. with that then if I don't get the exact whole story or the full truth. I'm not hurt by it or upset by it. What about, I mean, you see lots of teenagers. Right. For sure, they're not telling me the whole truth. Right. Under <laughs> percent uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I see a lot of teenagers where they, I'll, I, we will build a, rela a good working relationship and then they will in some way want to emphasize or make sure I know that mom and dad don't act like this at home. Oh, yes. They act yes. like this when they're here with you in the session. Oh, yes. And I'll tell them, oh, I know. I mean, right. you didn't come here in your pajamas. You put on mm -hmm. clothes and you brushed your hair and you wore right. shoes and and that everybody does that. And so everybody puts on something when they come here. Mm -hmm. So I get their perspective right. or their truth in the moment. Right. I think when we have those moments where we know, I mean, sometimes, especially with teenagers, we can see when maybe some falsehoods have woven into the story or you start getting bits and pieces of the story and we as adults go, oh, it's probably not how that went, but we're able to walk them through their reality, what they experience. But it can if you have somebody that intentionally leads you down the wrong way, right? Like an intentional Real. falsehood to get you to believe a narrative that they know they're telling mm -hmm. something wrong. It can make you doubt whether you were effective or not. Because sure, why can't yeah. I help this kiddo achieve yeah. this next thing? Or why can't I help my supervisee? work with these clients when everything I'm saying is falling flat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Heather, the next step in this would be that if you are, if you are being gaslit, then you would start to doubt and self-gaslight and that self-gaslighting leads to examining and questioning everything. Right. Do you, so my, my student that had the client that said he had cancer and then said he didn't have cancer, she really, she, even while we were processing this in the couple of weeks before she wrapped up school, it went from questioning herself and questioning that relationship to questioning if that person could tell me a lie. For two years. For two years. <laughs> and as close as, as she thought that they related to each other, then what if lots of other things are not true? Mm -hmm. And she really did. She said she started thinking like she went to, you know, maybe like the grocery store 
and questioned what was happening at the grocery store was honest or not. Did they make did they have her pay the right amount or not? Maybe they lied. Right. Maybe Maybe got into some deeper like not trusting the world around you. Yeah. Not just your own self. But so do you think that that could happen to you as a supervisor or a counselor or have you experienced that happening to anyone? I actually have had a supervisee before that this was definitely happening for them. They were working in a clinic where a lot of the clients they saw were the same type of client. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people that came in had the same presenting issues, the same presenting things, Mm -hmm. and they were really struggling. It was not their favorite place to be. They were in a job to get hours, those kind of scenarios. But they weren't successful with the first couple of clients that they were seeing under my supervision. And so we talked about some different things to do. Then they started realizing that one of the main features of these clients characteristics right characteristics was going to be to lie like these are going to be things that you're going to face all the time yeah and so instead of finding ways to like argue the lie like accepting that reality is their reality and being able to pull yourself out of it because he was very frustrated that he wasn't effective and doubting all sorts of things. Well, I just can't see this kind of client. I can never see a client that has this diagnosis. Uh-huh. I was like, well, I can see them. You know, I'm pretty sure you can. You just haven't had the experience yet. Sure. To see that. I mean, think about any client that's ever court ordered. Right. They don't want to be there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not all of them, but lots of clients in substance treatment. Right. Eating disorder treatment. Mm-hmm. It was so likely that they would minimize or. Absolutely. Cover up mm-hmm. or. Well, and a lot of times, especially in a court-ordered situation, the person's doing it for a different reason than mm-hmm. just there. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily want to do right. anything different or be better. Well, and I think we're talking about court-ordered mm-hmm. clients, but I mean, how many of our teenage clients right, are there they're under arrest? Right. <laughs> so we probably could find some right. similarities in lots of different clients. Yeah, I think I feel that, that in if you work in that world, one of those settings where lots of your clients are in some way trying to get you to see something different. We're, right. We're, I mean, we're describing gaslighting. But right. They, I think you could leave feeling like lots of the world is like that. Right. That if you spend all day long with substance abuse clients who are trying to convince you to sign their piece of paper so mm-hmm. they absolutely um, don't um, break parole or something, or right. that you might feel like when you leave work, people are still doing that. Of course. And I think it's easy and under times, I know for myself personally, when I have a higher stress load or, or a more intense, what I call it, a clinical caseloads, heavier or lots of clients that have more intense issues. It's really easy to walk away going, wow, like my whole world is enveloped in some of these crazy thoughts, these crazy patterns. Yeah, I think so too. Let's talk about what's the solution to this. If we are being gaslit, then we start self-gaslighting, and then we see that impacting not just work or not just us, but bigger parts of our world. How do we stop that? And this article talks about the way to stop gaslighting is to look back and change your perspective on the past. Right. I think we have to learn from our experiences with our supervisees, with our Mm -hmm. clients, to learn about ourselves, about how we interact, and how much of that are we taking personally into our own, like, How much of what we're learning along the way are we holding on to? When I think of this, I think about, again, my client whose client didn't have cancer. Right. My student whose client didn't have cancer or other times where I have felt like this. And I think for me, I I wonder if this is the same thing as the article is describing. It helps me to go back and reframe things. Right. So like like the student who was so devastated by their mm -hmm. client not having cancer. Right. What we talked about was that 
that client came to you with cancer and relationship is- issues and largely their relationship issues were different. Right. Better. Right. You improved some yeah. skills. Maybe right. this fact was not the truth, mm-hmm. but these skills did improve along well, the way. And part of the fact was they did have relationship issues. Right. So they gave you a piece of the truth, mm-hmm. their version of the truth. So it wasn't totally false. Right. And you were useful as a counselor because you helped with the, make these changes. Right. So I think I think I do that to myself, too, that if I had a supervisee who I felt like was not doing the things I asked them to do, that I probably would go back and look at the past and, and do some reframing for myself and think, well, but they do this every week. Right. Or this is something that happens very consistently and I'm confident that they take care of that. And it maybe helps me have perspective about the certain situations where I do feel like I'm being gaslit. Right. Where you're kind of aware that like there's more to the story or there's more to. Yeah. I mean, when I had the the supervisee that didn't want to report, I did that for myself. And then we went back and had a conversation about why they were uncomfortable reporting. Right. That it seems like you're doing other things that I ask you to do. You didn't do this thing. There's a big thing. What's happening? Right. What's yeah. really going on? Mm-hmm. What about you? How else do you see if the solution maybe to gaslighting is to go back and revisit the past? How do you do that? I think for myself, I think it falls into the kind of client I will take upon mm-hmm. like first contact. Mm-hmm. If I am not feeling confident about certain things and I won't take that client, I will also find myself like coaching and supervision a little bit about knowing how to build those skills, like looking back and going, what did I do great about this? Even if this fell through or this client didn't stay your client or whatever, really helping my supervisees see that like, but you you gained knowledge, you yourself Mm -hmm. gained experience Mm -hmm. or knowledge from the situation that it doesn't always have to be about what the client presents with or what they bring in the door. I like that. I know you, we've talked about that. I like to do that, revisit and think what went really well and do you feel good about Right. what in this scenario did you learn from or right. how are you different mm-hmm. so you're yeah it's right. not just always about the growth of somebody that you're interacting with but that we can all grow from right. new situations and absolutely that might be the benefit or that right. might be the resounding overall effect is mm-hmm. what overall, yeah, yeah the takeaway mm-hmm. well thanks today for listening to supervision with a vision you've been listening to supervision with a vision head on over to itunes to subscribe rate and leave a review Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Therapy Academy to join the conversation and get show notes. We'll be back next week with more Supervision with a Vision.